Alrighty. Hey, Wakas. How are you? <laughs> well, good morning again. If you have your Bibles, we are continuing our study through the books of First and Second Timothy. We're in Second Timothy chapter 1 this morning. If you need a Bible, just raise your hand and we'll get one right to your seat so you can follow along with us. Second Timothy, all of chapter 1 this morning. A lot to cover, but it's all good stuff, so I'm excited. Second Timothy is right after First Timothy. Thank you, You're welcome. What page? 825. In the Bible that James has. <laughs> All these, all these different page numbers, everybody's shouting out. <laughs> all right, the title of my study this morning is Not Ashamed. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time that we can gather together, Lord, to be in your word. Lord, knowing that it's your desire to speak to our hearts, Lord, speak into our lives words of encouragement words of exhortation, Lord, words of conviction, Lord, whatever uh, you have to say to us this morning, we want to have open hearts to receive everything, Lord. Everything that you want to teach us this morning, uh, we just want to hear, Lord. And so we pray that you'd bless our time together, that you'd anoint our time together, Lord God. We also pray if there's anyone that has joined us that has yet to come into, into a saving knowledge of your son, Jesus Christ, that they would see their need for you, Lord, and they would turn from their sin and turn towards you this morning. So we thank you for this time, opportunity to gather for a sweet time of worship. Pray your blessing now upon our time, Lord, upon the kids downstairs as they're being taught your word as well. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let me ask you, have you ever been ashamed? Have you ever been embarrassed? I think we all have. Last November, my wife and I uh, you know, went down to Branson Land to visit some friends that we hadn't seen since we first moved here, like 18 years ago. And they were in town, and they said, well, meet down there. And so, you know, we get down there, we get down to the parking lot, and we're, we're looking for a place to park, and we see what looked like our friends. And we hadn't seen them in almost 20 years. And so, uh, yeah, I think that's them. So we roll down the windows, and, and we begin to, Ron, Chris, Ron, and we're waving, Ron, Chris, Ron, Chris. And then they look at us, and it's not Ron and Chris. They looked at us as if we're nuts. And, and I'm thinking, yeah, it's been a long time. Did they change that much? But I thought it was them, but we were embarrassed. Read another story about a man named Maurice Smith. He's an international Christian speaker traveling all over the UK and Europe and the USA. And uh, he says there was one time when he was speaking at a meeting in Glasgow that he was always accompanied by his guitarist friend called Dave who would lead worship at his meetings. And this particular meeting, as he was giving out their song sheet so that the people can sing along with the words, he came to this young woman who, in spite of several attempts, refused to take a song sheet from him. And she would say very sweetly was, no, thank you. No, thank you. Well, he says that she didn't open her eyes, but was obviously in that state of worship and just smiling before the Lord. But Maurice was, was nothing if not persistent. And he kept on insisting that the young girl take the song sheet from him. Until it is, one of his uh, leaders whispered in his ear, she's blind, Maurice. Well, obviously he felt really bad and desperately turned to his guitarist friend for help. Dave, play something quickly. Dave duly obliged 
and instantly struck up with the chorus, Open our eyes, Lord, we want to see Jesus. So, so Maurice said, feeling bad turned to feeling really, really awful. But then one look at the girl's face, who was now laughing uncontrollably, swept all that embarrassment away. Listen, we all know what it's like to be embarrassed. We know what it's like to be ashamed. But let me ask you this morning, are you ashamed of Jesus Christ? Now, I'm sure all of us would have a resounding, absolutely not, no way. And that's wonderful, and I hope that's true in your life. And yet the Apostle Paul thinks it's very important to give Timothy, this young man in the faith, in 2 Timothy verse 8, a huge warning against it. He says there, therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord. That word ashamed means embarrassed, guilty because of one's actions, characteristics, or associations. Now, when we look at it from that description, perhaps we have been ashamed of our Lord. See, not being ashamed is having the courage to speak His name anywhere with courage and boldness. Not being ashamed is willing to stand up for Christ in the workplace, at home, at school, in public. Not being ashamed is willing to face ridicule and mockery for the name of Christ. It's for that reason that sadly many Christians are ashamed of Christ at times. Now, I do think that all of us have experienced it at times, afraid to speak out or, 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 of Christ to be identified with Him. In some cases, you know, it's a result of persecution, such as what Timothy was facing here. But, but most often, it's simply because of what Proverbs twenty nine twenty five tells us. The fear of man brings a snare. And, and we get that, that fear of man. What, 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 are those, what is he going to say if I, if I speak up? Or how are they going to react to me if I'm, if I'm outspoken for Christ? I think sometimes we're afraid because we don't, we think we don't have the right words to share or to say. At other times, the sin in our lives leads us to be silent out of fear that someone will confront or expose our hypocrisy. In some cases, our jobs or reputation will be jeopardized if we identify with Christ. But if we're going to be successful in serving the Lord and glorifying the Lord with our lives, then we have to conquer that fear and, and, and our shame. That's the encouragement that Paul has given to Timothy here in 2 Timothy chapter 1. In fact, three times in this chapter, he says you have nothing to be ashamed of in verses 8, 12, and in verse 16. Now, these are words for us as well, any of us who have ever been or ever been ashamed. So I've divided our study into three points, three things that we shouldn't be ashamed of. We shouldn't be ashamed of, number one, serving, number two, suffering, and number three, seeking. We should not be ashamed of serving the Lord. Now, this is Paul's final words to his son uh, in the faith, Timothy. And he wants to encourage him in his faith to, to carry on the work of the ministry, to not be ashamed, you know, uh, with all that comes along with it. Now, the thing about Second Timothy is that you not only have to study it with your head, but you also have to feel it with your heart. Really sense what's going on here. You have to imagine this, this saintly man who has served the Lord faithfully for so many years, traveled over much, much of the Roman Empire, and, and preached the gospel tirelessly. Now in his last few days of his life, he ends up in a prison. And it's not a prison like we studied in the book of Acts, where it's like a house arrest. This was different. This was a dungeon in the truest sense of the word. He was in a Mamertine prison. It was the dungeon of all dungeons. A Mamertine prison was located within a sewer system below ancient Rome, and it could only be reached by lowering through a hole in the, in the floor. Twelve feet underground, 
The room measured six and a half feet high by 30 feet long and 22 feet wide, permeated by the, the vile stench uh, of waste. Prisoners were held in the Mamertine to await execution or simply allowed to starve to death out of sight. There was an iron door at the end of the chamber open to the cloaca maxim, which was the sewage system, where dead bodies were dumped into the Tiber River. Now you would think someone like the great apostle Paul, serving the Lord faithfully for so many years, would be rewarded in his last days. You know, maybe a, a chateau on the Mediterranean someplace, you know, because of your faithful work, Paul, your last few days you're going to spend your time here. You think that towards the end of his life it would get easier. Chuck Swindoll in his devotional put it this way. On this earth, nobody lives happily ever after. That line is a huge fairy tale. You're living a dream world if you're waiting for things to be happy ever after. That's why we need grace. Marriage doesn't get easier, it gets harder. So we need grace to keep it together. Work doesn't get easier. It gets more complicated. So we need grace to stay on the job. Child rearing doesn't get easier. You who have babies one, two, three years old, you think you've got it tough. Wait until they're 14 or 18. Talk about needing grace. Here's what Paul or Jesus said in John 16:33. These things I've spoken to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. But be of good cheer, I've overcome the world. He doesn't say in the world you'll have tribulation until you get about 55 or 60 years old, then the rest it's all over. No, it continues on until we go home to be with the Lord, at rest with the Lord. Paul, see, Paul didn't really expect to have it easier towards the end of his life. In fact, he would write in chapter 4, verse 6 and 7 of 2 Timothy, he says, I'm ready to be poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. And Paul would eventually be led out of the city and with, with a flash of an executioner's sword as his head would be severed from his body. So what we have here is Paul's last words to his son, son in the faith, Timothy. And so how does he begin? Well, he begins in verses 1 and 2. Look, he says, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, according to the promise of life which is in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, a beloved son, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. Now, Timothy obviously knew who Paul was, but Paul still chose to tell him, hey, I'm called to be an apostle of Jesus Christ. And, and he does that because what we're seeing is Paul's love for Timothy and that he hopes as he reminds Timothy of God's calling on his own life, that, that Timothy would not be ashamed in serving the Lord and the calling that God had on his life, and he would be encouraged in his own calling. See, Paul had a role to play in God's plan for reaching the world for Jesus Christ. His role was as, as an apostle, as a, a unique ambassador for, from God to the world. Paul did it, as we read here, according to the will of God. You know, it, it wasn't his whim to be an apostle. It wasn't, hey, I might try to do that. No, it was the will of God for him to be an apostle. In the same way, Timothy had his role to be a pastor teacher at that church there in Ephesus. And just as Paul and Timothy both had their role to play, we too have our role to play as well. Do you know yours? I mean, I know there's something you could write, well, a pastor by the will of God or evangelist by the will of God or prayer warrior by the will of God. But listen, you can also write firefighter by the will of God, police officer by the will of God, school teacher by the will of God, a nurse by the will of God. Because when you do your job, we're always on the job as a Christian. 
And God has called you to be the best firefighter, the best school teacher, the best prayer warrior you absolutely can be. We all have a role to play. And God wants us to walk in that role. Now, I love the last part of verse 1 here. He says, Paul, he knew that he had a death sentence. And he knew that it was just a matter of time before he'd go home to be with the Lord, thrust into eternity. So what what does Paul talk about? He says, the promise of life which is in Christ Jesus. Man, he's thinking, I'm almost there. I am almost, man, I've fought the fight. Man, I'm almost there. I'm th- man, the promise of life. I, I'm almost there. The promise of eternal life. Life in Christ Jesus. John tells us in 1 John 5, 11 and 12, and this is the testimony that God has given us eternal life, and this is life in His Son. He who has a Son has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. See, that is our hope in Christ. No matter what this world throws at us, no matter what we face suffering for Christ, God has given us eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. That can't be taken away from us. So then next, Paul turns his letter back to Timothy and he says, look at verse 3. I thank God whom I serve with a pure conscience, as my forefathers did, as without ceasing I remember you in my prayers night and day. You know, the men that God uses are men of prayer, devoted to prayer. Paul is, is consistently praying in his epistles for, for, those, uh, uh, for those churches. Paul had a, an enormous prayer life. He was a man who lived and slept and breathed prayer. You know, this last Friday, we went out to the GO team to share our faith, and, and it was great. I mean, the Lord blessed. And, but this was actually the first time I was there when it looked like, like there's going to be a fight between two people, and we were in the middle of two people we were sharing with. I mean, this one man said he was an atheist, and the other man heard that he said he was an atheist, so he stands up and starts using profanity and confronting the atheist, ready to fight. So he had one non-believer wanting to fight another non-believer over the fact that they're non-believers. I thought, okay. At this point, I realized, you know, we don't pray enough. We don't pray enough. So I thought about this yesterday, and so I, I, I'm putting it into action. We're going to start a prayer team specific for the GO team. So that for that first hour and a half that we're down there, there was someone within the body of Christ praying for the team. So I put a sign-up sheet in the back. It's on the back table there, and I've divided it into 10-minute increments. Now, you can take more than you want. I mean, you can take 20 minutes. You can take the whole hour and a half. But I want your name on there. And so you can, can, you know, put your name down and say you're committed to praying for 10 minutes from this time to this time on Friday night. Man, we'll see God do some amazing things because of that. And, and we'll be protected from being beat up as well. Possibly. You know, if God calls us to be suffered for him, we'll suffer for him. But I don't, I don't want to suffer for him with two unbelievers fighting us in the middle. You know, it's like, wait a minute. But think about it. I mean, Paul says that we're praying for you, Timothy. Wouldn't you love to have Paul praying for you day and night. But listen, even better, we're told in Hebrews 7.25 that Jesus is praying for us. He is interceding for us day and night. In fact, we're also told in Psalm 121.3, He will not allow your foot to be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Jesus doesn't stop. He lives to make intercession for us. Well, Then Paul goes on, look at verse 4. He says, I remember you in my prayers night and day, greatly desiring to see you, being mindful of, of your tears. So Paul is looking back. He's missing Timothy. It's believed that Paul was arrested in Ephesus at this time when the Roman government was really beginning to persecute the church. 
And probably as they bound Paul, ready to haul him off, Paul is saying his goodbyes to Timothy, and Timothy is just reaching out, and just the tears are rolling down his face, and he's sobbing and he's weeping. I'm sure wanting to go with him, willing to die with him. Yet Paul knew that it was essential that Timothy stay there in that church in Ephesus and do what God has called him to do in pastoring that church, knowing that the false teachers were, were coming in. And so Timothy is weeping and, and Paul is, is vividly reminding himself, man, of this, this co-laborer he saw, his, his last you know, uh, moments with him. He says, oh, I remember the tears and I desire to see you. And he says, that I may be filled with joy. What, a, what a, a wonderful bond that is created through our relationship with Jesus Christ that we have uh, among each other. The family of God that exceeds even our own natural families. We've looked at this the last couple of weeks. We get closer, many of us, to each other than to our own families. The bond that God creates in our hearts and our lives for each other that is there. Well, Paul goes on, verse 5, he says, When I call to remembrance the genuine faith that is in you, which dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, I am persuaded is in you also. So Paul is saying, man, Tim, you came from a great family. Uh, what a blessing to have a godly mom and a godly grandmother that, that taught you God's word and, and you grew up knowing the word of God. And we'll talk more about this next Sunday, which is Mother's Day, so bring your moms out for that. But, but let me just say this, what a blessing it is to have godly parents, to have a godly grandmother, a godly mom. A huge privilege it is to, really as moms, really, to, to, and, and dads, to pass on to her children the love and the knowledge of Jesus Christ. Well, then Paul goes on in verse 6. He says, Therefore, I remind you to stir up the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hand. So he gives his introduction. He says, Okay, here, here's what I, I want to focus on, Timothy. You need to stir up that gift. You need to get that gift reignited. You need to get back into serving the Lord. You know, it's possible to neglect the gifts of God within our own lives. Maybe God's given you the gift of hospitality and you've given, he's given you the opportunity to invite people into your home and you go, nah, yeah, I'm not going to do that. Or maybe he's given you a gift of ministering to children and you're not using it. You're, you're neglecting the gift God has given to you. God has given you a heart to serve and, and a gift to serve in any capacity and you're not doing it. You're neglecting that gift. Paul says, stir up that gift which is in you through the laying out of my hands. Now this brings us back to, to being ashamed. Paul perhaps is looking at, at Timothy and maybe, maybe Timothy's become ashamed, fearful, and had been neglecting the gifts that God has given to him. So he says to him, look at verse 7, For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Now, Paul, Timothy, they were both born-again believers. Two Christian men with two very different personalities. Paul was very bold and strong and, and dynamic for the Lord, where Timothy was a very good and faithful man, but was timid and scared at times. Now, from a purely human point of view, the church seemed bound for extinction. I mean, its founder and leader, you know, at that time, Paul was soon to be executed, and believers were quickly becoming ashamed to be associated with Jesus, his church, or its leaders. It was no longer popular. And perhaps Timothy is becoming fearful what might happen to him in, in, in the exercise of his gifts and pastoring and teaching and evangelizing. You know, I think fear and discouragement is one of Satan's strongest tools in his arsenal. If he can get you fearful and discouraged, he can keep you from serving him faithfully. It can uh, debilitate you. 
fear, maybe fear of failure, fear of saying the wrong thing. Again, we were downtown Friday night with the GO team and had the opportunity to share with a lot of people. The place was, was packed. And there's always that little bit of fear before you get down there. Okay, how am I going to start this conversation? How do you begin? You know, okay, I'll say this. Do you know that you're going to hell? Okay, that's not going to work. I won't say that. How about that? Have you been washed in the blood of the Lamb? Okay, no, that'll freak them out. I wouldn't say that. Now, what we found is it's, it's really easy just to say, hey, do you know what happens after you die? And just engage in that conversation. That helps begin the conversation. But there's that, that fear initially. Okay, okay what am I going to say? How am I going to do that? Well, how are they going to respond? But, but once you get past it, once you go, okay, I'm, I'm just going to go for it. As soon as that hurdle is over, man, the Lord really does take over. And as you begin this conversation with a total stranger, you find out just where they're at and how much they need Jesus. And you share with them the love of God and, 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 and all that fear disappears. And it's just the Holy Spirit takes over and you're going, oh, man. And you have this, this, this uh, 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 just, just heart for this person who needs to know the Lord. See, that's what it means to, to not fear and to use the gifts that God has given to you. Now, this fear... In verse 7 that Paul speaks of here is not the same fear as when the Bible says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. That word for fear is an awesome dread of displeasing God. It's a different word. This word for fear here can better be translated cowardice. Now, I know my mother-in-law, she's deathly afraid of heights. If she got up here on this platform, she'd be afraid. She'd hold on to the, to the, the pulpit, I think. Certain fears are natural. It's a natural thing. I have a fear of snakes. I don't like snakes. I have a fear of, uh, you know, and that, that kind of fear is a natural thing. It's a good thing. For example, if there was a cobra here loose in this church, I would not be here, okay? How's that for your shepherd, you know, protecting his sheep? I'd, I'd be out of here, out the door. I'm just telling you so you know ahead of time, I won't be here. Now, it's normal and good to have a sense of fear. However, Paul is not speaking of a good kind of fear, but a cowardice. Paul is saying, God has not given us the spirit of cowardice, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Sound mind means discipline. In other words, God does not intend that, that defeat should be the norm of Christian living. We should be disciplined Christians rather than slaves to our emotions, slaves to, 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 to our fears. Now, now, we're all moved by emotions. That's why, you know, people send money to organizations when they see the commercial on TV of the starving child or the little orphan. But as Christians, we're not to be motivated by our, by our emotions. Our emotions are not to master us. We're, we're to be disciplined. So how does that apply to this question of fear? Is it wrong for me to have a fear of snakes? No. But it would be wrong for me to never leave my house, never go out of my closet in fear of snakes. So imagine Timothy's situation for a moment. If you saw your mentor, the one that you've looked up to, the one that, that, that led you out, led you to the Lord, you've seen him, you've been with him, you've seen him dragged out of a city and stoned, left for dead, you've seen him beaten with rods, arrested, put in prison, that can be a scary thing. That might be fearful to you. It can have a big impact on your life. In the same way, Paul is telling Timothy, don't be afraid of what you may think may happen to you. Don't not leave your house because this may happen or not happen. Never use, uh, and never use the gift that God has given to you. God has not given you the spirit of fear of cowardice. Instead, you go out in the power of God. Continue to share your faith and lead the flock of God and serve no matter what may come your way because God has given you the power and the love and, and sound mind. And this brings us back to, to being ashamed. Look at verse 8. He says, Therefore, 
do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord. He's saying this is, you know, serving God is nothing to be ashamed of. So get up, get back in the game, do what God has called you to do. Maybe there's some of us here that we need that same pep talk this morning. Maybe we've been keeping quiet, you know, about our, our relationship with Christ, fearful that in this day and age what people may think or say, or, or fearful that your business may be sued because of you stood up for the Lord. And yet, how can God use us if we don't open up our, our mouths and, and speak His name to people? Think about Peter. What shut his mouth? Fear of other men. What shuts our mouth? It, it's fear of men. Yet how many people have died and gone to hell because Christians were too afraid or too ashamed of Jesus to open their mouths? Listen, God has given us, as believers, power, love, and of a sound mind, so let's use it. Point number two, suffering. If you do suffer for the Lord, it's not something to be ashamed of. Look at verse 8 again. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share with me in the sufferings for the gospel according to the power of God. The second time, Paul says, do not be ashamed. Now, there are a lot of situations where, you know, we could keep our mouth shut and avoid suffering, avoid trouble, avoid repercussions because we don't speak up. But in reality, we need to be speaking up in spite of getting in trouble. You know, when you hear people, you know, saying blasphemous things about the Lord and, and we just kind of keep our mouth shut and go, man, he's just a heathen dog, you know. Or we can say to him, keep your mouth shut. Okay, you don't want to say it like that. <laughs> you can say to him, basically, you know what? What you say really offends me. It, it really bothers me. You're talking about a man that loves me very much, who died on the cross for me to save me from my sins. Would, would you not talk that way? Would you not take my Lord's name in vain? Now, they may get upset with you. They may even say something worse or, or think, who do you are? But yet again, Paul tells us that God has given us the spirit of power, love, and of his own mind. Don't be ashamed of our Lord. Don't be embarrassed of what may happen, of the suffering and the persecution. But Paul says, share with me in sufferings for the gospel according to the power of God. You know, there's a lot of promises in God's word that I love, that I love to claim, you know, the promise of eternal life and those things. But there's, there's one that I really, really don't like. And we're going to get to it in a couple of weeks. It's 2 Timothy 3, verse 12. Yes, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. Not might suffer some persecution or perhaps sometime in their life suffer some persecution or there's a good chance you may suffer some. No, all who live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. It's a promise. Now, that's one that I, I don't claim. Oh, Lord, I claim that promise. But, 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 but you see, that doesn't mean that we need to hide out in our house or, or, or you know, don't ever share because you're fearful of persecution. Because if that's the case, then you're not really living a godly life. Living godly means you're reading your Bible, you're praying, and you're attending church, and you're sharing your faith. If you do those things, let me tell you, you're going to suffer some mockery. You're, you're going to perhaps even lose a job. For Paul, it meant imprisonment. Paul said, listen, don't be ashamed, Timothy, of me being a prisoner in, in, in jail. You see, even though Caesar Nero put Paul in jail, Paul knew that, that, that he was a prisoner of Jesus Christ. And he was there because God is allowing that. And he was, he was sharing his faith even to those in prison. And so too, we may suffer injustice for the gospel's sake, but we do as Paul did. Uh, we do so according to the power of God. Verse 9, he says, Who have saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given to us in Christ Jesus before time began. 
So he's called us, even before time began, God's called you to be his. But he's called you, not according to your works, nothing you have done. We're not saved according to our works, but according to the purpose of God. That's what Paul is saying. Now remember, Timothy, he's ministering there in Ephesus. And in Ephesus, they were having these legalists come in who were saying, it's all about works, 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 you know. And they they were turning people away from the gospel of grace that Paul had been proclaiming uh, since the beginning. In fact, we know a few years later, Jesus wrote a letter to the same church in Ephesus, and was it was not all well within that church. In fact, Jesus called the church there in Ephesus to repentance. He says, unless you repent, I will remove my presence from you. Why? Because they came into that place where their whole religion was now works-based. The Lord says in Revelation, I know your works. They've come to a legal relationship with the Lord. And really, the result of a legal relationship with the Lord is a, is a loss of a true relationship with the Lord. Jesus doesn't want a legal relationship with you. He desires a loving relationship with you. He wants to relate to Him and Him to you in love. It would be like this. It would be like, like if, if you're going to go and, and you're going to get married and you're going to go to the justice and the peace and you get that legal document that says you're married. And that's all you have. You don't have anything else. You still live in the same house, and he still lives in, in his house. You still have separate names, separate checking accounts. You never talk to each other. Everything is separate except that legal document. Now, I wouldn't call that a marriage, and God certainly would, wouldn't call that a relationship with him. Listen, you may have walked down an aisle and committed your life to Jesus Christ at some point, and maybe they may have given you a piece of paper commemorating it. But if you haven't followed through in that relationship with Jesus Christ, then all that is is a document. Because Jesus is looking for a relationship with you and, and, and he with him. He's not interested in all the rules and regulations and keeping your works up. He's interested in you and, and loving him supremely. Jesus said to the church in Ephesus in Revelation 2, I have this against you. You have left your first love. So he says, remember, therefore, from whence you have fallen, repent and do the first works. In other words, when you first came to the Lord, you were loving the Lord and serving the Lord out of love. You were motivated by love. He says, return to that. Uh, you know, or else, he says, I'll remove your candlestick out of its place. I'll take my presence from you if you keep trying to do this legal relationship with me. I want this loving relationship. And that's what Paul is encouraging Timothy, to, be, to not be ashamed, but be, be strong in the grace that God has given to him. Remembering that God has saved us and has given us life, he says, which was given to us in Christ Jesus before time began. Then he goes on, look at verse 10. But has now been revealed by the appearing of our Lord, or our Savior Jesus Christ, who has abolished death. Now, again, Paul is bringing up death because, listen, if you knew you were going to die maybe within a week, I think I'd probably be talking about death a little bit too. But, but look what he says. I mean, he's bringing up death because he's got the death sentence on him. But I love that, that it doesn't matter what Nero says. He says, God has abolished death. So Nero may say he's going to kill me and threaten my death, but you know, God's abolished death. I love that. He goes on, he says, and has brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. Listen, when a Christian dies, he doesn't really die. You know, it, it's wrong to say of a child of God, he died. They don't die. Now, this earthly body certainly will die one day, but God will give us new bodies so that death will never come to us again. Look and listen to what Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 1 and 2 and verses 5 and 8. He says this, For we know that if our earthly house, this tent, is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens, 
For in this we groan earnestly, desiring to be clothed with our habitation, which is from heaven. Now he who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. So we are always confident, knowing that while we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight. We are confident, yes, well pleased, rather to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Paul wrote those words. He knew, man, it's just a few minutes before I'm going to be man before the presence of the Lord. So then when a Christian dies, rather than saying, oh, he died last week, we should say, oh, he moved last week. Have you seen Johnny lately? Oh, no, he moved. He's got this huge mansion now. I mean, he's no longer living in that old tent, that old rut he was in. I like that Paul reminds us what Jesus did in verse 19. He's abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. Now, what an encouragement. I think of when Jesus said to Martha, your brother shall rise again. Remember that story? And Martha said, yeah, you know, I know that he'll rise again at the last day. But Jesus said this in John eleven twenty five and 26. I'm the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? That's the gospel. That's the good news that we have. The Lord's abolished death. He who believes and lives shall never die. This is the gospel message that Paul is proclaiming. He says in verse 11, to which I was appointed a preacher, an apostle, and a teacher of the Gentiles. He was appointed to to preach and, and teach as an apostle that message. Three things Paul was called to do. He was a preacher and an apostle and a teacher. Preaching is ordained by God to bring the unbeliever to faith in Jesus Christ. Preaching is for, for non-believers, for the unregenerated. Because when I'm preaching, I, I'm proclaiming to the unsaved God's good news to them. You don't have to go on in your sin and die and be separated from God from eternity. You can have eternal life through Jesus Christ. Repent and believe in the name of Jesus Christ. That's preaching. Teaching is what we need as a church. It's what the church needs. Teaching us how to walk and how to grow and how to develop in a relationship with God. That's what the church needs to be doing. The teaching of the Word. And I tell you, that's where the church is failing today. So Paul has had this combination of preaching and teaching ministry and called to be an apostle. Look at verse 12. He says, For this reason I also suffer these things, Nevertheless, I am not ashamed. There's that second word, ashamed again. For I know whom I have believed, and I have persuaded that he is able to keep what I have committed to him until that day. Paul is saying, man, there's nothing to be ashamed of for suffering the Lord. Why? Because I know whom I have believed in. Notice that Paul doesn't say, I know what I believe. A lot of people who know what they believe doctrinally, they know what they believe theologically, but they don't know Jesus Personally. Now, there'd be maybe others who, who are not that firm in, in, in doctrinally or, or with theology, but they know Jesus intimately. They're the joy to be around. But listen, sound doctrine is important, but it can't save you. Only Jesus Christ can save you. It's not a belief in a system or in a religion or a belief in a doctrinal position. It's a belief in a person in Jesus Christ. Paul says, in whom I believe. He says, and I'm persuaded that he is able to keep what I have committed to him until that day. That word for committed is a banking term. It's the same word we have for making a deposit. I've deposited my life in Jesus' hands, and he's able to keep it. He's able to get me safely home when the time comes. See, Paul lived for eternity, knowing that that day was rapidly approaching the day he would see his Lord and finally be rewarded. 
And he tells Timothy, listen, you have nothing to be ashamed of even if you face persecution because God is safely going to bring you home. That Paul writes in Romans 8.18, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which should be revealed in us. So then Paul says, in light of all this, look at verse 13. He says, Hold fast the pattern of sound words which you have heard from me in faith and love which are in Christ Jesus, that good thing which was committed to you, keep by the Holy Spirit who dwells in us. Hold fast, stay strong, stay in there, hang in there, stand strong in the Lord. This brings us to our final point. Verses 15 through 18, we'll see uh, seeking. There's nothing to be ashamed of. It's seeking to be a blessing to others. Look at verse 15. This you know that all those in Asia have turned away from me, among whom are Phygelus and Hermogenes. So I got two guys with some really weird names that turn away from Paul. Now, we don't know much about these two guys, only that this is the only place that they're mentioned in in all of Scripture. But what a terrible thing to have your name recorded in God's holy word for all of history, only to be used as an example of unfaithfulness. Now, don't think for a moment that that Phil and Herman simply woke up one day and, and, and with this burning desire to be unfaithful. No, they just seen what was going on around them. They, they, they saw the suffering that Paul was going through and they thought, you know what, in our own best interest, maybe we shouldn't hang around that guy anymore. There's a lot of commotion. There's a lot of things that happened when we're hanging around that guy. And they got more and more focused on themselves and their own comforts and where they were at. They saw what was happening to Paul and said, man, I'm out of here. And they chose really to be ashamed of Christ. And not only them, but Paul says that all those in Asia had turned away from me. I mean, think about it. This is the great apostle Paul. He's at the end of his days. Fantastic career, missionary career. Almost all alone. He's not, he's not praised by the world. He's not even regarded by, by Christians. There's no one there. I mean, if there were Christian radio back then, no one would want to interview Paul. If there were Christian podcasts back then, no one would, would tune in. Paul would have a hard time finding a, a publisher for his books he'd written. For many Christians of that day, Paul seemed too extreme, too fanatical. They didn't want to have to go through what Paul went through. Yet, yet Paul now is tremendously famous in heaven. And he's got more friendships in heaven than, than man could ever want. I can't wait to meet the Apostle Paul and sit down and talk to him. And yet, despite all those that turned their back on Paul, Paul says, there's one guy, look at verse 16. The Lord grant mercy to the household of Onesiphorus, for he often refreshed me, and was not ashamed, there's the third word of shame, not ashamed of my chain, but when he arrived in Rome, he sought me out very zealously and found me. Paul was chained there in that dungeon in Rome, and Onesiphus went to Rome, searched through dungeon after dungeon, until he finally found Paul, and there ministered to him and encouraged him. And Paul finally says in verse 18, The Lord grant to him that he may find mercy from the Lord in that day, and you know very well how many, many ways he ministered to me at Ephesus. So this guy also had a reputation. Yeah, remember the guy, Timothy, that was in, in, in uh, Ephesus with us and how he blessed with that man? He kept doing. He, he hung in with me. Man, so this guy was a, a blessing to Paul. He's described as seeking after Paul in order to minister to him. Didn't matter if Paul was arrested. Didn't matter you know, if, he, if, if Onesiphorus was going to suffer for it himself. 
He sought out Paul and was not ashamed to be associated with Paul or with Jesus Christ. Listen, we are called to do the same thing. We're told in 1 Corinthians 10.24, Let no one seek his own, but each one the other's well-being. Are you willing to seek to be a blessing to others, even if it may cause you shame? Are you willing to to seek uh, the, the benefit of others? Are you willing to be like Jesus? Jesus said in Luke 19.10, For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. Are you willing to follow in Jesus' footsteps and seek those who are lost in prison, trapped in their iniquity and in their sin? Listen, as we close and, and prepare to enter into a time of communion, Paul's words here were meant to be pre- preventative. And, and that there was a very real danger that Timothy needed to guard against. Timothy, a strong man in the faith, needed to guard against these things. How much more do we as a church today need to be on guard of these things as well? That if we faced hard times because of serving the Lord, that's nothing to be ashamed of. If we're facing hard times because of our Lord, uh, suffering for our Lord, then that's nothing to be ashamed of. As we seek to reach those in need, that's nothing to be ashamed of. Listen, Jesus suffered and died for us. How much more can we do for Him to show Him just how much we love Him? And then when you look at the cross, I mean, that's what communion is all about, looking at at the cross and the shame and the suffering that he went through for us. How can we not want to live for him every day? I want to close with the words of Jesus. He says, For whoever is ashamed of me in my words, of him the Son of Man will be ashamed when he comes into his own glory and his Father and of his holy angels. Luke 9, 26. Listen, being ashamed of Christ is a characteristic of unbelievers. Those who ultimately deny Christ will be denied by Him and will be sent to eternal hell. He will not allow anyone to come into His presence who doesn't confess Him. Denying Jesus is is not to accept Him as a Savior, as your Savior. If you've truly accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, then you're not going to deny Him. And if you're ashamed of Him and you, and you don't live for Him, then really what you're doing is betraying your belief. You're, you're literally impersonating an unbeliever. Why would any Christian want to take on the identity of an unbeliever? You see, that is what we once were. But when we have given our new life in Christ, why would we ever want to return to the life we had before Christ? Maybe you've joined us this morning and you've never given your life to Jesus Christ. Maybe you've heard all about Him in your, in your whole life, but you've never surrendered to Him this morning. Maybe you've called yourself a Christian for many years, but when it comes to the workplace, your home, schools, friends and neighbors, you've been ashamed of Christ. Listen, as we come to this time of communion, it's time to get right with the Lord. It's time, if you've never committed your life to the Lord, to say, Lord, I want to surrender my life to you. But it's also time, if you've been ashamed, if you've not been living for Christ the way that you know that we should, it's time to come to the cross and lay it on the altar and say, God, I'm sorry for my sin. I repent from it. I turn from it. Help me to live for you today. You see, some 2,000 years ago, that price of our sin was paid upon that cross. Jesus took it upon himself. So we just need to turn to him and, and, and the one who paid for our sin. I want to give us that time during this time of communion. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you that we can turn to you, Lord, and we confess to you our sin. Lord, there are times in our lives that we have been ashamed, that we've not stood up for you, Lord. And we pray, Lord, that, that those times would be fewer and, and far between, Lord. That through the power of your Holy Spirit, you give us that boldness to be a witness, no matter what happens, Lord. Even if we face suffering, Lord. Even if we face persecution. 
Lord, even if we suffer from, from seeking to help others, Lord, and, and serving them, Lord, help us to stand up for you, to not be ashamed. Your word says that, Paul says that, 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 that uh, he's not ashamed of the, of the gospel of God. It's the power of God into salvation. Lord, we're not ashamed of the gospel. Lord, we, we hold fast, Lord, the fact that the one to this cross, that you died for each one of our sins there, so that we could be forgiven. And Lord, now we just come to you. As we look back to the cross, as we look to this communion table and the bread and the juice, and we remember your body that was broken for us and your blood that was shed for us, Lord, we know that we can come to you at any time and find that forgiveness and grace, Lord, that we so need, Lord. We, we never run out of our need for grace. We thank you for that and for your forgiveness. Bless this time of communion, we pray, Lord, as we look to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.